I'm just going with the flow. So, You're listening to Three Wise Truck Guys from Key Advisors. Hey, good morning and welcome to podcast episode nine of the Three Wise Truck Guys. I'm Keith Ely and uh, as always, I'm joined by the other two wiser truck guys. Uh, John Whitnell, how are you today, John? Good morning. John is uh, living the dream in Fort Worth, Texas. All right. And you're at home this week? John is at home this week. That's correct. That's good. That's good. Uh, any uh, any funny stories or any any humorous anecdotes you want to enlighten us with today, John? Uh, actually, uh, I had something happen yesterday. I was talking to one of our clients, and uh, it's the first client that I'm aware of that's uh, been hit with a ransomware issue. So, uh, you know, in this uh, world that we live in, you can never be too careful. So just uh, kind of a heads up. The uh, gremlins are out there trying to uh, cripple truck dealerships as well. Make sure your IT processes and, and uh, discipline is, is in place. Very good. Hey, Mark. Mark Martinsic is with us as well. How you doing, Mark? I'm doing great as always. Live from Birmingham? Live from Birmingham, Alabama. That's Roll right. Tide. Roll Tide. Well, there you go. Hopefully, they, hopefully we'll get to see a little bit of that this fall, you know. I'm, I'm hoping so. I hope so. I hope that the state's going to be in uh, if we don't. So. You know, I I know we had the discussion yesterday, Mark, as we we're planning for this. What would we like to talk about? And both of us agreed that the lack of baseball would be a really interesting uh, podcast. And John, I'm sure you'd join in in that discussion as well. Yeah, it's uh, unbelievable to be at this time of the year and not be uh, looking at this the standings in the sports page. That's yeah, right. It, 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 it's probably the, the sport I miss the most. So. Yep, me too. Me too. So, hey, we're going to talk about parts inventory today. And, uh, you know, one of the one of the topics that's come up, just not during the COVID crisis, but even, even before that was what size of parts inventory should I have in terms of dollars and, and uh, uh, more so, how, do, how does my parts, how can I structure my parts inventory so it really, really works for me and, uh, and the, 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 uh, the processes and procedures and policies that I should have in place. And so we, we've got another special guest with us today. Um, and uh, she's probably the smartest one of, of all of us. She's um, smarter than all of us put together. Keith, that's right. That's, yeah. that's right. <laughs> so, so we're gonna we're gonna bring her on in a minute here and let her tell us about some of the things that she's finding uh, on parts inventory health and it's really some interesting things. I think what one of the things that we've figured out is that this is not a a tactical um, just a tactical tool, but this is a very strategic tool for for a customer because it's. Uh, it's not just dealing with parts inventory, but it's dealing with pricing. It's dealing with uh, uh, customer, their, the dealer's customer's impact, and a whole bunch of stuff. So I'm excited to talk to her. But, you know, I guess we always start with the best and worst that we've seen for the for the month. And I, Mark, again, as we were talking yesterday about this, the thing that continues to impress us, and I'll, I'm going to, John, I'll certainly let you chime in as well, but I'm guessing it's a fairly similar comment, which is, the, the people trying to, to continually uh, identify how to significantly make their business better. And uh, you know, we've talked to a lot of people over the last month and over the last couple of months and uh, specific controls and identify waste and, and things like that that they're trying to drive out of their business. And I know Amber's going to talk to us about an example that she's dealt with and what you know, what what uh, what we're really starting to find is, um, is that some of the challenging things that they're really starting to unlock and unfreeze have been things that have been in place for a long time. I know uh, the one that's really impressed me is uh, the, this dealer group really trying to dig into the part side of their business and unfreeze the way they've done work now for maybe 35 plus years. And they've, they're a really strong dealer group, a large group. They do very well in, in the market areas they're in, recognized by their OE as one of their leading dealers. And now they're challenging every piece of their parts inventory, the parts department management, um, which is really quite an undertaking. And 
Uh, they're, they're very excited about it. I think they may be somewhat hesitant about it, not because of not wanting to do it, but it's just the job can be overwhelming. But uh, that to me is the most uh, is the most exciting thing. And I think even down to a point of challenging whether or not they should be on their manufacturer's vendor manage inventory program and all the bonuses and all the the uh, um, quarterly and annual growth bonuses does that make sense from a dealership perspective to actually uh, be on those programs or are they better off managing that inventory themselves managing the parts operations themselves and uh, and and Try and go beyond what they're, what the the manufacturer is able to do for them. So, this is quite a challenge for them. Excited to see how it turns out. On the flip side of it, is some some of our customers, and I know some dealers that we're talking to. You know, they're asking the question, and I, I, we had this question brought up in our in our webinar that we did a couple of weeks ago, but. Uh, was how do we how do we start to sell more? How do we get back and and try and and increase our sales? And I think the disheartening thing is a lot of people trying to treat customers the same way they've been treated before March fifteenth. Um, and I think that's just not true today. Um, you know we've got we've got customers of ours that are way down on volume because of of the type of product they sell, who they sell to, and, and we know we have to treat them much different than customers of ours that are not being as impacted by this um, crisis right now. And um, we have some customers that are not at 100% where they were, but they're, they're 10 or 15% off, not the 20 or 30% off that we're seeing some with others. And I think the ability to ask the right questions of of their customers, of the end user, the, the fleet, the municipality, what can we do to serve you? And, uh, you know, if, if you're dealing with a, a, a food service, a restaurant food service um, provider, they're not doing lots of business right now. They're not going to buy lots of parts or service from you right now. Whereas on some of the other things, you know, we're seeing um, volumes for over the road and things like that stay fairly fairly static. So uh, I think I think really breaking out of this habit of just ranking your customers by what they've bought in dollar order and going down from the top and just saying why haven't you bought from us? I think you got to be pretty sensitive and pretty uh, insightful to ask the right questions of your customer to say, hey, I know you're you're not buying right now. What can we do to help you? Uh, is this is this driven by your current level of business? Uh, what can we do to help you? And so I, I think that's the worst thing I've seen. Mark and John is, is just this blanket treatment of customers and doing business in many ways the same way as we've always done it, and hoping that we're going to get different results. John, what about you? What's uh, what's been some best and worst for you? You know, actually, Keith, uh, there's a often overlooked uh, piece of the business called the F&I side of the business. And uh, if you'll recall, you and I got a phone call from a CPA firm that's really not one of our clients and somebody that we don't do a whole lot of business with. But they had a question and it, and it uh, forced us to go out and make a few phone calls. And, and I was really kind of pleasantly surprised by the focus as we move through this pandemic that a lot of dealers are starting to put on the F&I side of their business. And, uh, and the flip side of that is based on a separate call, the uh, emphasis on using the F&I side of the business to try and promote extended service contracts, um, using that as a way to get more sales volume without adding brick and mortar, and using that as a way to stay in touch with customers. And, you know, that F&I side of the business, when you've got a sales professional helping people work through uh, workouts and, and miss payments and stuff, it's so critical. So I've, I've seen a lot of really good news in terms of what dealers are doing on the F&I side of the business to, uh, to keep relationships with customers very strong and to uh, try and get a little bit more margin out of their existing fixed infrastructure. Are you seeing are you seeing some activity happen there, John, on F and I, in this um, in this downturn? 
Yeah, as a, as a as a kind of a aside, you know, the first thing I'm going to say is it doesn't appear that liquidity in the marketplace has been dramatically impacted. Uh, you know, this is typically the time when lenders pull back and try and find other safer places to, to be. And we haven't seen a whole lot of that. It seems like they're still out there. I would say that uh, the lenders are probably experiencing some increased level of retail repossession activity that's probably not flattering. So we may see a correction here before too long, but liquidity in the marketplace and the prices of liquidity seems almost uh, unchanged as we move into the third month of this pandemic. Okay. What about on the flip side? You got any, any, uh, I guess, the worst thing that you've experienced or dealt with this month? Yes. Still seeing a lot of people on the people side, uh, um, kind of not being not not treating their people uh, correctly. So okay. a lot of layoffs and a lot of uh, furloughs and uh, and uh, so I, I think that's that's it's, that's pretty short sighted and it's going to come back here to to be a challenge as we as the business starts to pick up. Good. What, what is, what's the feeling that you're getting from dealers that you talk to? Are they seeing some some volume start to come back into their business? You know, it depends on the dealer that you're speaking to. Some have started to experience the business coming back a little bit. I'd say as a general rule, though, it's uh, stabilized at the minus 20% is going to be what I'd characterize that at. Okay. And, and, and a sense of euphoria that it's not getting worse. Right. Uh, that, that, that is good news. Uh, you know, it can recover once it bottoms out. Right. Right. Mark, good morning to you again. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Good, good. So, same question, uh, best and worst. What have you seen, uh, best and worst? Well, you know, you guys are, are hitting right on it, okay? In service, uh, uh, the, the, the dealers I'm talking to are either innovative and planning for now and the future, or they're letting it, letting it uh, react to them, okay? But some of the things I'm seeing are unbelievable, okay? Uh, Obviously, we've talked in the past about now's the time we should be honing our processes and really taking good care of customers and shortening dwell time and and uh, getting very, very efficient because business is down a bit at, at many dealers, okay? But uh, enhancing their online presence on the web and mobile devices, okay? Um, one dealer told me about a study that the, the, the age group, the demographic, that, that uh, buying trucks prefer communication on a mobile device versus uh, email even, and, and things are changing. I think a lot of these things will stay the same, but offering pickup and delivery, uh, new mobile service offerings, you know, extending their mobile service departments, sanitizing vehicles before and after. We even saw a client that put together some packages and are charging for it and is doing pretty well with it. Uh, curbside concierge service we see restaurants offering that curbside pickup but curbside concierge services setting up a tent in the parking lot for write-ups and so forth you know uh, always seeking we should have been doing this to begin with but seeking the preferred method of contact from the customer um, contact-free payment options okay along with internal policies and standards for, for your own staff, sanitizing throughout the day, not just once a day, on the phone, the computers, the counters, doors, you know, splitting the shifts so there's not as many people there. I think a lot of that stuff will stick and if it's making them more efficient today. And, and if you have those new directives, and I've been coaching a few dealers, if you have those new directives that you're doing business different, have you communicated that to the customer? Does it say that on your website? Does it say it on your Facebook page if you have it or whatever social media you're using? And, and are you reaching out to customers positively to, to your point of, about the parts department is the people that are still buying service don't expect what we were doing before. They expect something different today, just like all the other businesses we deal with. Hey, you know, Mark, so question for you. Just in a, I, I've been thinking about this since this whole pandemic started back in March and we were first coached to wash our hands a lot and I would sure think that uh, with washing hands and the keeping the keyboards clean and the phones clean and all that uh, constant sanitizing in a, in a service department or whatever 
that's not just good for now, right? It's, I mean, if, if they keep doing that, you think that the health of the employees is going to be a lot better going forward, even after this crisis is done. So our, our production should be, we should have more people at work. Yeah, I, I would think so. I'm no doctor, obviously, uh, but I would think so. Uh, it just That's what I'm saying. I think a lot of these things will change for forever or, well, for the next phase at least, okay, uh, as we come out of this COVID deal. Uh, it, it, uh, a lot of it makes sense. Just like our business, we're able to do a whole lot more virtually than we thought we could uh, because we were forced into doing it, right? Right, right. Now, on the flip side, tell us about something you just are not so excited about. Well, my pet peeve, and you all have heard me talk about this many times, but I still constantly uh, take calls about a poor productivity uh, problem or a poor efficiency problem. When you start digging in, you don't have any disciplines around technician punching or standard SRT times or even even open two-way communications with the techs too often. And... Uh, that's your inventory. All the things that we're going to talk about today for managing a parts inventory apply to your service inventory, which is nothing more than number of texts and how many hours are you buying a day from them or how many hours are they attending. Knowing where every tenth of the time goes is so critical if you want a chance to improve it. And I continue to see a relaxed atmosphere, maybe even more so with this COVID, that more relaxed less accurate punching, less standard SRT times, and and just just not managing it at all. I, I know that we got into a discussion internally, and I don't remember when that was, Mark, a couple of weeks ago about looking at, at um, you know, what, what I'll call third-party payroll outside the business system. And so we're seeing payroll times for techs that were punched at a certain amount of tech times that were punched on the DMS at, at another amount and and there was no reconciliation of the times going there was uh, it was you know it was perceived as being too time consuming to reconcile the times and so now we're paying overtime where we may not need to or we've got tax on staff that we may not need you know, I, I think this is a and I'll just personally I mean you know one of the things we do is we track time and I, our, our time tracking has not been as good over the last month, six weeks is what it was before we went into this COVID thing. So I think I get it. Doesn't make it right. You know, shame on shame on me for not managing our time better. Well, I'll crack the whip on you. How about that? I appreciate that. I appreciate you know, that. Time is money. That's somebody said that a long time ago. And particularly in the service department, that is your inventory and you need to manage it. There's, there's, typically always an opportunity there to manage it better in many cases unfortunately or fortunately for us there is tremendous opportunity in managing it so right. um, it, it's a simple calculation if I've got 10 techs that, that work 8 hours a day i got 80 hours to sell if I'm only selling 50 why do I have 10 techs and why did I pay him to be there for 9 hours a day right and to pay overtime and all the other things that happen so Right. Uh, you know, I know techs are hard to find and we're constantly have to build them, but right sizing right now and increasing true proficiency right now can really save you a lot of money and actually make you more efficient for your customers. Yep. Well, thanks. Hey, why don't we say we welcome Amber to our podcast here? She is, as John said, she's certainly smarter than the, than the three of us. I would never lump Heidi in with the three of us. Um, She's smarter than we are, too. But, Amber, welcome. Welcome to our podcast. Why, thank you. I'm happy to be here today. Yeah. Hey, uh, for those of our listeners that don't know, you do a, uh, your, you and your department do a, a weekly update that's posted on our, on our website. You want to tell us a little bit about those stats and, and just a little bit about what you're seeing and some of the data you gather and why we did that in the first place? Absolutely. Um, well, we call it our volume indicators, and that's exactly what it is. We're trying to get an understanding of what the volume shift has been since COVID-19 was declared a pandemic. And uh, we are fortunate enough to be able to survey dealerships across the country based on our relationships. And we are looking at dealers in 23 different states. 
We have over 80 dealerships that we're surveying. Um, and that's a really nice market sample so that we can understand the volume dips. And okay. what we've seen is that service has dipped um, around 18% um, in your, since the middle of March. And what are you measuring there? We're measuring the amount of repair orders that have been opened. Okay. So we're just looking at what's the throughput in your service department, how much work have you opened um, before and after this pandemic. Okay. And we've seen an 18% dip there, but we are holding steady. The last five weeks really have held steady. Okay. Um, and we feel like we can predict next week's volumes based on that. Okay. Um, we've seen something different in parts though. Um, while we did see a dip in parts of about 15% um, from mid-March, we have seen in the last five weeks an increase in volumes there. And once again, we're just looking at invoices that have been opened. Um, but we've seen about a 5% increase over the last five weeks. And it is, while small, steadily rising week over week. So what are you measuring there? You say uh, counter tickets, is that right? Yes. We're, okay. uh, we're measuring the amount of invoices you've opened in the parts department. Okay. Okay. The number or the dollar volume of the parts? Um, we're doing the number. Um, just to make sure that we're taking into account all the outliers, we believe that the ticket number as well as the work order number on the service side is the best consistent measurement um, to keep it simple and to make sure we're taking into account all the extra factors. But you do measure per ticket dollars as well, right? We do measure the average dollars per ticket, yes. It's okay. also available on our website. Um, there are a few more influencing factors to that, but it's still a very important metric, and you can see the change there as well. Okay, has that, has that changed much from from before and after? Or do you um, know? We can see that there has been a little bit of a shift. We're seeing a few okay. less dollars per ticket, both in service and in parts. Okay. Um, once again, depending on your market that you're in, and depending on um, who your customer is we see a bit more of a shift there. Okay. Hey, Mark, do you have any idea on hours per RO, what's happening on hours per RO right now? Actually, hours per RO are, are staying pretty steady. Uh, it's all over the board as to where each dealership is, but based on before and now during, it's staying pretty steady. The, uh, the 15, 18% average drop in ROs is, is what accounts for the drop in revenue in the service department. Um, the uh, um, so that it's not it's not having any effect on the size of the job at this okay. point. Okay. Hey, John. On a, on a separate note, you know, we, we've talked about the, the what's happening on the service side. What what has happened on the on the parts side in terms of, uh, or excuse me, on the the used truck side in terms of um, volume, both the retail and the auction volume. You know, auction volumes, Keith, are a little uh, bit of a challenge because there's some seasonality associated with them. Uh, but in the first three months of the year, we were at record volumes for each of those three months. January's already very soft, but February and um, and March auction activity were, were, were through the roof. Um, things settled down a little bit in in April. Even for the month of April, we, we had fallen off of record volumes. And May, we're just uh, getting ready to tie off this week. But but I would say this, and by the way, Amber also, she does use trucks too, okay? So, uh, but uh, I, our expectation is that May volumes are going to be typical. And okay. uh, most people in the industry really expected auction activity to, to escalate as we went through the pandemic. And, and April and May both look decidedly average or typical. So okay. We haven't seen the growth there that we thought we would. On the retail side, uh, you know, in March, we did see March year over year down about 8%. April was essentially flat. So, um, and, and May too soon to tell again, because we won't okay. start to see May results until June. But right. it's been a precipitous drop-off in used truck sales. Um, the biggest probably uh, soft spot in the used truck market right now would probably be uh, ISB-powered medium-duty straight trucks just simply because there's so many of them out there and a lot of the demand for those trucks uh, tends to come from 
locations and industries that have been adversely impacted by the uh, COVID-19 crisis. Okay. Pandemic, excuse okay. me. <laughs> well, Amber, we didn't bring you here. <laughs> Amber, we didn't bring you here to talk just about uh, volumes. You are, um, you are a inventory expert. I would say that I would say, and uh, not a truck parts department inventory expert, but an inventory expert in in, uh, in how an inventory is managed and and even maybe organized. I know coming from your background of in the, on the warehousing side of this with uh, with a, a large uh, retail firm. Um, one of the things that, you, that you've been working on is looking at what we're terming parts inventory health. Um, and I think we approached this, first of all, because we, we thought maybe there's some maybe there's some opportunity to find some cash for, some ready, ready cash for dealers. And we've not just done this during the COVID crisis, but we've done it before. But uh, um, you know, just take, take us through, first of all, you know, your thoughts on inventory. I heard you talking to a, a gentleman this morning that we're doing a project for, and and you said something very fascinating when, when when he's when he was talking about trying to get his inventory put together, and you said something along the lines of that there was a method to the madness. So I'm going to let you take that that comment and and just uh, start in on first of all your thoughts on inventory, and then let's get into the inventory health side of this as well. And I know Mark that that Mark is really interested in this because of his bias to, towards the standpoint that Ports never has anything my techs need. So biased? So. Do you think I'm biased? Just a tad. I just wish they had some parts on the shelf that we needed. counter. <laughs> 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 I'm departmental neutral, Mark, so I got your back. <laughs> um, when it comes to inventory, it is, there is a method to the madness. If you can understand the supply and demand, inventory is very analytical. And figuring out what the right parts to have on the shelf isn't difficult. Keeping the right parts on the shelf is difficult. Okay. Maintaining a really correct inventory requires a lot of buy-in and some great routines. Once you get there, it's not difficult to maintain it. It just takes a lot of diligence. Okay. And what we typically see is folks don't understand all of the ins and outs of the inventory and how those metri how metrics play together or how the supply and the demand kind of fight each other inside the inventory. So if you can find someone and educate them well, I think you get a lot of buy-in into great daily, weekly, monthly routines to maintain a good inventory. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about this parts inventory health, and and it's not just a tactical tool. It's a it's a uh, the approach that you're taking on this. It's a very strategic look at at inventory and and what's happening inside the inventory and and uh, how it's impacting the dealership. I think so. I believe it's a strategy to great management of the parts department, and it gives you a foundation to always come back to. Okay. However, in March, it certainly started because we had dealerships asking us about cash. Okay. And we all know there is a lot of cash tied up in your inventory. Um, and if your inventory is not correct, there's no need to have that cash tied up in it. Okay. So the, when we look at our health check, that's the first place we start is what's in your inventory and should it be there? And we try to right size the inventory. Okay, so so tell me a little bit about that. What does that What does that mean that that you're right sizing it, and that the inventory shouldn't be there? Um, well, you want to keep the parts on the shelf that you're selling. Okay. And you want to make sure you understand what you are selling, how many of how many items you're selling, and how much to keep on hand. And you don't want to keep parts on your shelf you're not selling. Okay. You purchased them, you're tying up your money, and then they're just sitting. Okay. But to Mark's point, our techs really want to go to the parts department and say, I need this part for a truck, and they want to have it in their hands 10 minutes later to repair that truck. So can we lower an inventory and without impacting fill rate, first-time fill rate, off-the-shelf fill rate, not ordering it in two days from now fill rate? What if I said no? I'm because not sure what gonna... you said no to. 
Um, we can lower our inventory, but we are going to impact fill rate. We're going to positively impact fill rate. We're going to increase it by getting the right parts on the shelf. Okay. Um, so for my want- service department, we're going not going to have as many parts on the shelf, but you're going to have them when I need them. We're going to have them when you need them. We're going to get the right parts. Wow. I'm impressed. Tell me more. I hear the skepticism in your voice. What we do is uh, we look at what we're selling. We take a look at a few pieces of criteria, but really the demand that we have seen for each individual part um, is the largest influencer on what we should keep on the shelf. If we've sold it and we know we've sold it, it's a proven part. Let's get it on the shelf and let's get a 30-day supply of it. So when we look at the inventory, we don't just take away parts. We also add parts that have sold that are not currently part of your stocked inventory. Right sizing really is about what do we need to have for our customers and do we have it and do we have the right quantity of it? We did a case study um, of two dealerships and originally we had about $5 million in inventory between these two dealerships and we had a fill rate of about 81%. Okay. We were able to decrease that inventory from 5 million to 3 million between the two stores and increase the fill rate, the fill rate, pardon me, to 96%. And that's first time fill rate. That's a point request. Yes. First time fill rate. And this is at the back counter too. It does. Back counter, front counter, all of the above. So are you, are you happy now, Mark? She's definitely piqued my interest. <laughs> so, so I know, I know, I know this is an execution thing, right? So it's, you know, we're looking at numbers, but there's an execution um, dynamic of this as well. Yes, we can always add two plus two and get four, um, but we also have to have a parts department that can execute the strategy. Okay, and that takes understanding what you need to do um, to return things like obsolescence or to understand pack quantities for vendor managed inventories so you can return them as well. So one of the questions that we've got and that you and I were talking to a dealer, this dealer about today was on their on their group, they're challenging right now whether how they do business. And they're really challenging this idea, should I be on my OE's vendor managed inventory program? That's a pretty strategic change. It's a big change. Okay. So Help me through this process, and I know, I know we only have another ten minutes or so on this. But help me through this process of how we look at how we, how you know how are you going to look at this Amber and give them? We're not going to tell them what to do, but we're going to give them some advice on what on on that strategic piece, and maybe just ask, maybe encourage them to ask the right questions, even. But what are you going to start to look at? Uh, and analyze in this in this process to you know to, to help them see a little more clearly about about which road they should go down. Yeah, we so our health checks about looking at we just talked about how to get cash, but we're also looking at what's our parts gross margin, what's our fill rate, and can we manage those three mes- metrics? What's the cash? What's the margin? What's the fill rate for both? Uh, DMS managed inventories and vendor managed inventories. Okay. And as we look at the opportunity within each of those metrics, we can track them for both sides of your inventory. And so as you work to right size your inventory, as you work, the second step we haven't talked about is we can actually help you source your parts from the lowest cost vendor so that you can increase your margin as well. Okay. As you work through that process on both DMS managed and vendor managed inventory, and you track those metrics, you can see which inventory is going to benefit your dealership more. So is it a fair statement to say that you're going to be able to model a couple of different scenarios and then and then say, here's what your scenario looks like under vendor managers, what it looks like under if you did these things, managing this yourself and you and we know we know this is a number, we know they'll never get to 95%. I hate to tell you that, Mark, but they won't get the 95% fill rate. You know, but could they go from 81 to 88? Probably. You know, um, and I don't know how much cash, Amber, you identified. Real cash, not just a, 
uh, a, a mathematical calculation, but by individual part number, um, you know, how much cash you identified that they potentially could generate um, off of this, both one time and ongoing. But uh, I think it was fairly significant. Uh, absolutely. It was from just a one-time cash perspective, there's an opportunity for upwards of $3 million. Now there's also reoccurring margin that can right. happen through this process as well. Um, and that's another 1.5 million that could reoccur um, okay. because you are sourcing it at a lower cost and because you are controlling your pricing strategy to get the margin you need. Okay. You know, I think that pricing strategy is an interesting discussion too. We're on the phone with the dealer group yesterday morning and they, uh, we do we do a weekly phone call with their parts management team just to tackle one subject and to, to dive deep into that subject. And uh, we, we've gone through inventory control and management over the last, I think we started that probably early November, so we're six months through it. And you know, the, the inventory has changed dramatically um, in terms of what they have on hand and what they fill and those things. But now they're wanting to talk about pricing. And you know, the comment from the parts manager of this group was, most of the people don't even understand how things price. They don't understand the, the, the rationale for a price code. They don't understand any of the pricing logic. So, Mark, I'm sure that goes along the same way on the service side, that most people don't understand how things are priced or how hours are applied, to, you know, put into a repair order. Um, there's a lot of underlying factors there that, that directly have impact on volume on dollars and gross and things like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I just just uh, the fact, as I spoke about earlier, inconsistent SRT times. You know, I, I was brought up to sell with that it was worth three. And the reality might be between it or it might be below or higher. There's no measurements put to it. But, but all the pricing for, for uh, shop supplies and taxes and everything else, everybody just understands the piece of it, right? Yep. So, Amber, in your analysis, I know some of the, some of the feedback that we get um, on these parts programs as well. I can return the part. I don't have to pay a return fee on it, or or I don't have to pay restocking fees or a, a, um, a freight fee on it. Um, then some of my other manufacturer programs I have that are tied to that vendor managed program are based on volume bonuses. So I can't get off volume bonus because it will cost me money. Are you going to look at some of those things into this into this analytical perspective to, to uh, say the net effect is favorable or, or unfavorable for, for, for looking at vendor managed inventories? Absolutely. Our goal isn't just to right size your inventory to get cash, but to make sure that you're you have the right parts on the shelf so you can sell them at every opportunity to your customer. Okay. And you want to do that um, in the way that suits you best. And that very well may be a vendor managed system or it may not be. But we want to make sure we account for how you're getting it, how you're maintaining it. Um, and how you're turning your inventory as quickly as you can, but never missing an opportunity to sell. Okay. John, you've been sitting here patiently listening about parts today. Any questions for Amber? Any thoughts? I just know when you put enough of those parts together, it looks like a truck, and that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, we so we don't spell it. It's kind of like the uh, Johnny Cash song, what was that? Uh, piece one piece at a time. Yep. Yeah. So. There you go. Uh, Amber's had some great success with some of our clients, and we've approached several others. So th there's, a, there's a demand for making sure that you've got the right mix of parts on the shelf and so that you can manage those assets as efficiently as possible. So yeah. she's, she's really been very skillful in that. Yep. Amber, anything else you want to talk to us about regarding inventory? Um, and, and, and how this is strategic. You know, this is not a one-time deal, and, but it's concerned foundation. I think when it comes to the strategy part and making sure this is a long-term solution, you want to make sure you're in control of the setups. You okay. want the right parts, but then you also want to make sure that you're setting them up across your stores um, so that they're transferable if you need, that they're in the same sources, that their costs are the same. And that way, if you do transfer inventory, you don't create discrepancies by doing it. 
okay. but that you're also in control of the margin outcome. Okay. If we all know that our parts are escalated off the cost and discounted by price codes, and a lot of that has to do with what source that part is in. Okay. And you want to make sure that that's consistent so that you can control it. And then you okay. can build a strategy around it to maximize your profits. Okay. Good. So this is, uh, the outcomes on this could be, what, what you find talking to your customers is that there's a, a bunch of outcomes on this, not just a cash back opportunity. I think it helps dealerships make a great decision around how they're going to manage that inventory but it also is a foundation to always come back to. Are we controlling it? Do we have great routines in place to maintain it? And because of the analysis, when you get off on those routines, we can pinpoint where it went wrong and we can go back to the basics to correct it. Okay. Hey, on another note, uh, you and uh, you and Patrick, and uh, I know Mark's been engaged in it, and um, uh, there's been quite a few people engaged in it, have got a, a product out, the, the Pulse product, uh, and I know you've been working a lot with our three um, early adopters on it, continuing to improve that that product. Um, you ready to put it out for mass market now? Absolutely. So, okay. Um, it's an excellent management tool. When we talk about basic, back to the basics, it really is about tactically managing either your parts or your service department. Um, in a way that tells you what should today's routine be, what should this week's routine be, and what metric am I trying to drive with those routines. It allows you to measure it, okay. measure the progress, or fail fast. It, it's also very, very easy to see the outliers almost as they happen. Yeah. That's what it's about, I guess. You mentioned that we're doing business very differently and asking the right questions is vital to doing that business. Um, the success I've seen is dealerships that know they've come to a fork in the road and they're very decisive about, am I going left or am I going right? Okay. And um, we've seen a lot of success with folks using Pulse to get the data to immediately know they need to go left um, or to evaluate whether or not they need to go right and then measure the progress quickly. Um, we see a lot of success that way. We've also seen a couple opportunities where they went left they failed, but they failed fast, and they were able to immediately auto-correct. Okay. And I think, I think that's really important right now. Good. Mark, John, anything for Amber before we let her get back and uh, do some of her magic work? John, just, just focus on taking good care of the service department when you're working with the parts department. <laughs> the parts department's only there to service them, right? That's right. That's the only reason for it. Amber, thanks for your good work. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, guys. All right. All right. So Amber's left uh, left our stage, left our building. So um, Mark, John, anything, anything for our audience before we close up in general? In, in general, okay, is that um, as we head out of this pandemic, we really have a chance something extraordinary at your dealership okay now is the time to spend the time planning and honing those processes and making yourself as good as you can be rethink how you do business the the thought i have is in the crisis leadership always is amplified becomes so much more important and uh, now more than ever it's been three months. Uh, some businesses are starting to reopen. Some dealerships are starting to some that were closed down, but amazingly, some are starting to reopen. And so, therefore, it's uh, it's important for the dealer principals out there to recognize that uh, you know leaders emanate energy, and they need to be optimistic about the future, realistic but also optimistic. And and I think right now is a time when uh, when the dealer principals need to be highly visible, and they need to be very communicative about. Uh, what, where we're at and the direction we're going and, and, and conveying a sense of optimism that we're going to get there and everything's going to be okay. And I think uh, now more than ever, uh, people that are employees of the dealership are looking for, for that vote of confidence and that uh, the new normal is going to be okay and we're going to continue to be a successful enterprise. That'd be my advice. 
I, I, thank you. I, I think that's both those are really, really uh, um, great comments. And I think that, again, if I, I look back on, on what we've been able to do as a company, first of all, as a leader, I hope that I've been able to, to do just a little bit of what you talked about, John. It's, it's, uh, um, we're lucky that we've got a, a really, really good group of people on our team. And uh, they've bought in from day one, and during this crisis, and and have dug in, and and uh, uh, whatever other words you want to use to to throw out there. But um, this is a great team to lead, and and uh, we we talked last Thursday morning about as a group what we've done differently, and and we've done a lot of things in the last two and a half months that uh, that are so much different than what we look like on February the 28th, February 29th, um, you know, in, in terms of doing things virtually, in terms of, of, uh, of some very, very specific services to identify specific opportunities. Um, and uh, we've become a lot better company. So, uh, and that's been a lot of, and a, a lot of aspects because of, Mark and John and, and Heidi and, and Amber being able to, to lead and, and, and do this. So thank you to, to you guys. I would like to put a, just a, a real quick pitch in here for a couple of things. And Mark, I, you're, you're working on a couple of time studies right now trying to figure out the impact of, of, uh, of various tools and products on, uh, on throughput. And um, I know you're finding some interesting, some interesting things in those time studies. And uh, more than anything, I think you're finding that there's direct impacts on profitability and capacity and workflow based upon based upon dispatch and, and use of various tools in the repair order process. And, uh, um, you know, I, I think it's fantastic the work that you guys are doing on from that side. And it's really, really, really valuable information that you're you're finding right now. Thank you. It really it really is interesting. Uh, a lot of. A lot of areas for improvement, uh, some that we probably can't improve. But on top of being better, uh, more efficient in the dealership, more efficient in the service department, increasing profitability, enhancing the financial statement, it's also got the third leg. It's not just the dealership and the employees, but it's when we increase throughput, when we get more efficient. The customer absolutely loves to get their truck back quicker. Even the used truck department, they can't sell it until we get it out of the shop. Right, John? Yes, sir. Yeah, I, I, I think that's spot on. I, I think, and I know you, you do those time studies not just for manufacturers, but if a, if a dealer wants to know more about their throughput, something you guys can certainly do. And, and dig into and look not just at DMS data, but uh, at other other tools that they may be using. How that how that data extracts impacts the throughput as well. Yeah. yeah, it's very interesting when you when you start looking at the financial data from your DMS system. And as an example, maybe uh, pull some process data from a decisive product, whichever one you might have, uh, if you have one, um, or or even. Uh, some of the DP solution products uh, and start mixing and looking at the correlations between the process and the financial results. John, I know also, you know, the other, the other plug I put in is, is what you guys do on the used truck side. Um, how many trucks you got in your database right now for the year? Do you know? Keith, we're, uh, I'm going to say uh, we probably for the, for 2020, uh, we're probably in about the fourteen or fifteen thousand range right now. Okay, okay. So you're on pace. You're on pace to have a bigger year than you had last year. Well, you know, we were at uh, twenty-eight thousand two years ago. We were just over thirty thousand last year, and and uh, we were on pace for substantially better. But again, the auction volumes in in April and May have moderated. So, right. and that's probably anywhere sixty percent of our data tends to be auction data. So. Right. Uh, but we will hit thirty thousand again this year. We're the only organization with that with that much data to work with. And I think I think John, what I find so much so interesting is the is the updates that you put out and the, the almost Mark you talked about real time on the service side, being able to see the outliers through Pulse and those types of things. You know the, the updates, John, that you guys put out. If if I'm 
if I'm really wanting to see what my used truck inventory, not just a blanket number, but down to some very specific things, uh, you guys are up to date. It's not we're, we're not waiting two months to get data. You guys are are as up to date as as anything can be. And, uh, and I see your updates go out every week. I don't read them all, but uh, see those updates go out. And, and I know that uh, the that used truck subscription that you guys offer um, gives them. I mean, for pretty low entry fee, they can somebody can learn a lot about their used truck department and be able to act on it real quick. I, you know, we talked about parts inventory, but at the heart of the and we talked about. Uh, technician inventory at the heart of the used truck department is you got to have a good inventory that works and you, and uh, I have to believe that if somebody can manage their inventory and compare an inventory value against what what you guys are actually seeing in the marketplace for a wholesale value of that of that particular truck, you know I could start to make a real time decision and not not just dealing with hope. So. Um, I just, I'm very impressed by what you guys bring to it, and if you know if our customers have not seen that that product, that subscription, I would sure encourage them to to go look at that because it's a very low entry level tool and something will pay off in about one day if they use it. Well, one truck, you make a mistake on one truck, it's our subscription rate for five to ten years, right? Yep. So, uh, yep. Yeah. That's right. So, well, as always, John and. Mark, it's uh, enlightening to have you on. Um, it's always nice to be the least wise of the three wise guys, and that would be me. Through, so um, appreciate it again, as always. That's right, the three wise guys, and probably three wise guys as well. So, so, well, gents, until next month. Keith, thanks for having us. Thanks, thanks. Yep. Well, with that being said, it's another broadcast uh, podcast of our three wise truck guys. If you got any uh, questions, reach out to uh, to Heidi at keyadvisor.com and she can put you in touch with any of us. Um, go to our website. We'd love to have you visit there. There's some things there you can learn about us. And until uh, until next month, this is uh, Keith, and we're out of here. Thanks for listening to Three Wise Truck Guys, the podcast from Key Advisors. We'd love to hear from you. Send us feedback, comments, and questions to info at keyadvisors.com.